Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Paul J., am I hearing a protest outside your window in Baltimore right now? Come on, Jesse, I'll be there. Some, no problem. Protest right by our window here. Yeah, the, we the, love Baltimore. We love Baltimore, right? Okay, good to go. Paul J., you are the founder of the Real News Network, uh, online news service in Baltimore. You are a former CBC producer of uh, Counterspin, expat Canadian. Hello. Hello. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome to Shortcuts. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Jordan Terriot, Travis Gertz, Michael Colborn, Ian Frederick, Joshua Benchescu, Anson, Kaylin Crosby, Joel, Alex Malotkow, Jody Gauthier, Vasiliki Bedner, and David McPherson. I asked David what it is about Canada Land that made him want to support it. It's covering stories that no one else is tackling, or it's looking at it. Uh, another story from angles that people aren't covering. It's a pretty courageous little independent media organization. This episode is also brought to you by Camp Tech. Camp Tech provides workshops for grown-ups who want to learn how to do computers better. So these are half-day to full-day digital skill workshops where you learn practical stuff that you can use about things like Google Analytics or online retail or Photoshop. I asked Camp Tech's founder, Ivory Swartz, what kind of people come to her workshops and when. 
We have daytime workshops that run during business hours, and that's a completely different crowd than the people that come out to our classes that run on evenings and weekends. During the day, it's more people that work in marketing departments of small to medium businesses and some corporations for sure. But then on evenings and weekends, we get a lot of arts groups, a lot of charities, a lot of people that um, like run a small shop. Camtech offers workshops in Toronto, Ottawa, Kitchener-Waterloo, and soon in Vancouver. They start at just 85 bucks. For more info, go to camptech.ca. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Paul, I know that this has all been happening outside of your window and in your city, but this is how we heard about what happened in Baltimore through the Canadian media. Baltimore burned as rioters filled the streets that had seen peaceful protests for more than a week. Police were pelted with rocks as young people, bent on violence, set fire to patrol cars and a pharmacy they had already looted. CTV's Washington Bureau Chief Paul Workman is in downtown Baltimore tonight. Paul. The remains of a shoe store looted, burned and boarded up with plywood. Looters going wild in a sporting goods store with arms full of boxes trashing the place. Many hundreds of residents were out early with brooms and shovels and garbage bags Blacks and whites together, trying to erase the evidence, the shame perhaps, of the chaos and lawlessness unleashed here. Paul, um, we've been experiencing, you know, kind of a, a very familiar media treatment of what's happening outside your window in Baltimore. We get the usual images of uh, cars on fire, people looting. And as you just heard, uh, that was CTV News focusing on the shame of the violence. Does that jive with what you're seeing in Baltimore? Um, well, there's certainly some people that feel ashamed about the violence. 
um, I think the majority view of the community here is ashamed about the amount of police brutality and the uh, murder of Freddie Gray, which was a totally unprovoked event. The guy made eye contact with a cop and then ran away from him. And as people know, uh, it looks like so far we haven't heard the actual results of a coroner or from a police department. Based on witness eyewitness testimony and video, it certainly looks like the damage to Freddie Gray's neck was done while they were arresting him and perhaps even more in the van as they were transporting him. This was a very united community outraged that just another uh, man uh, murdered by Baltimore police. Um, and that was the focus. And it, it reminds me a little bit of the Toronto G20 when you had um, well, 20,000 people or something, a massive demonstration protesting international injustice in terms of inequality, the Toronto G20, where all these presidents and prime ministers were getting together to discuss the economic crisis. And it was all about essentially getting ready for austerity. Um, and, and the substance of the protest was about that, those economics. A handful of people, maybe a hundred at the most, break a few windows. A police car seems to have been left out on the street, ready and, and, and willing, in a sense, to be burnt. Instead of the iconic image of the G20 being 20,000 people in the streets protesting economic injustice, the iconic media image becomes a burning police car. Well, you had the exact same thing in Baltimore. The iconic image here was the video of Freddie Gray being arrested, and all the focus was on whether the police would be accountable, the systemic brutality against of the police department against people here and the reasons for that, the reasons for long-term chronic poverty, unemployment, structural racism, and so on and so on. That was the focus. Now the iconic image is a burning CVS pharmacy. Um, I'm not saying this is all like some grand conspiracy by any means. And I, if you want, I can talk about how the events actually took place and why the quote unquote riot began. But the media, of course, makes that the issue and the word thug and the mayor calls and the governor calls people thugs and criminals. Well, they didn't say that in five seconds about the cops who it looks like murdered a guy. Uh, and, and, and this isn't, as I say, some a, 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 you know, one and one and a, this is not a one off shot. This is happening all the time in Baltimore and cities across the country. So shamed, uh, shameful. Um, I think most people are feel shameful that there is such terrible chronic poverty in Baltimore that gives rise to young people that are basically growing up furious. Yeah, it's interesting. Like it would be simplistic of me you know, to characterize all of the Canadian media's treatment of of what's going on in Baltimore as shaming of of looting and violence and you know the, those images of cop cars on fire and whatnot that's in there but they do take the time to address these wider issues of of police brutality and systemic racism but they always end with this idea of but we can all agree that these are thugs we can all agree that violence is not the answer we can all agree that we should shame the people who did this and yet as you point out if it hadn't turned violent the media wouldn't have given a damn i mean i and, and i include myself in this i'm just learning now about what actually is happening in in Baltimore, and you know, I'm, I'm just learning now that the past five years, cops have killed 109 
people, 70% of them black, 40% unarmed. I'm just learning now that like from the Atlantic, this, I, I think, I think that, I think that number is Maryland. I think. Oh, in Maryland. I see. And, 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 and I, I'm also learning from this article in the Atlantic that over, over the f- past four years, more than a hundred people have won court judgments uh, related to allegations of brutality and civil rights violations. Like the, the cops have paid off settlements to over a uh, hundred people. And the, the, the author of the Atlantic piece says, what percentage of unjustly beaten people actually win these formal legal judgments? I mean, like, is it 1%? So it's obvious that like systemic police brutality is just a way of life. Uh, I mean, it's awful. It's wonderful to be having this conversation though, finally, but it's only because we had those media images of looting. I mean, this focus on stuff, we're so concerned about stuff being stolen. And yet all of these people who have been abused up to the point of murder from the police, that doesn't make the news here. Yeah, I, there's a there's kind of two characteristics to the violence that's coming from the protesters. And I think we need to differentiate between the two. Um, the stone throwing is one and the looting is another. The stone throwing, to a large extent, is justified. These people were being corralled and cornered and they fought back to defend their space. Um, and the police created the conditions for this. They, you know, they were all out there with shields and big batons. Um, this all, just to back up a little bit, it began with a call from some young people online. Now, I should back up. We don't actually know who made the call. Perhaps it was young people. Perhaps, as it was in the G20, we know how much the Black Bloc was infiltrated by the police that, that came out in court documents. And we know within the Black Bloc, some of the cause, calls for violence and trashing windows actually came from the cops that had infiltrated the Black Bloc. So this call that went out over social media called Purge, which apparently references a movie where for 12 hours or 24 hours, all laws are suspended and anybody can do what they want in this dystopian world, um, that a call goes out over social media, which says purge at Mondavin mall. Now this is a mall located in a hood near the hood. And it's a place where it's about 95% of the clientele are black. Mostly poor people go there to shop. The young people hang out there. There's a school across the street. Um, and when the purge went out, um, it's, it's very interesting timing that a call goes out for some kind of really anarchist, property-directed damage to be done. The, the call to purge did get maybe 30, 40 kids out. Now, maybe the cops closed down the metro, the subway, and the buses because they didn't want people joining in on the purge, maybe. But that being said, they knew a school was letting out right at that time. So all these school kids pour out. They can't get on the subway. They can't get on buses. And now there's cops everywhere. So some looting takes place at the mall. And, and it's very interesting. Like they're taking diapers and like the kind of silly stuff. The looting was more about the defiance of the law than it was about trying to grab stuff, you know, for, for the sake of stealing. This was, to, I, I can't say for every person involved, maybe some people just took advantage of the moment and stole some stuff. But for a lot of the young people, it was just another, it was an act of defiance because the laws keep them in their place. And, and I'll say something a little more about that in a second, because this is the real issue here. 
Anyway, so then the police corral these kids and they start pushing them down to uh, Penn North and Penn, Pennsylvania and North, which is where all the big, where the pharmacy is. And it's been the kind of main point of interaction. Well, that's an area that's the real heart of the hood. It's a tough area. This is where a lot of drug stuff goes on. When the gangs decide, are at each other, this is one of the corners and areas where a lot of fighting takes place, a very poor area. Most of the kids that go to that school aren't from that area. They would, they'd never go there. This would be hostile territory for them. And the cops push them all down into this and start cornering them, not quite kettling that happened in Toronto, but not far. And the kids fight back. You know, understand that these are kids... There wouldn't, there would barely be a single kid that doesn't have at least a family or extended family mayor that's a member that's in jail, that hasn't been arrested, that hasn't been rousted by police, perhaps beaten. Um, the kids themselves hang out at this bus stop. But we did a story about this on the Real News right near the uh, Mondavin Mall, and they hang out there, and they don't always get on buses. You know, they're talking with each other and whatever, you know, they don't know what else to do, which is a big issue. There's been over the last, I think, 10 years, there's been 70 rec centers closed down in Baltimore in the last two, three years of speeding up of closing down. There's very few facilities after school for young people to go to. And that's the big issue. You've got this big mass of kids, no short-term recreational opportunities, but longer term, no hope for their future. The odds of them getting jobs when they get out of school is very slim. Very odd one breaks out of this. Very few of them will ever get to college. So, and and their 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 lives are just empty. So these kids get pushed into this area, this corner. They're furious about the murder of Freddie Gray. This this thing was just so atrocious. I mean, it's not like people don't get abused and killed here all the time. You know, because practically a shooting every day in Baltimore. But this was so egregious that Freddie Gray had done absolutely nothing. So they're particularly angry. And then they throw stones. So that kind of violence, there's a justification to that stone throwing. The looting, especially the fire burning, we don't know who did it. But it's not the main character of what the kids were doing. But the media has made it so. The media has turned this all into thugs and criminals, not young people. Now, there's another piece of this. Um, when they talk about systemic racism, when they talk about systemic police abuse, it usually stops there. It's not enough. You've got to unpack what does that actually mean? Why are the police beating and killing people with impunity? It's not just because you've got some racist police, and it's not just because you've got a city council, which in Baltimore is majority black, isn't cracking down on it. Quite the contrary, we as a society, and it's true in Canada too, it's not just American, it's just the, the struggle here, the, the, the fight is sharper here in big urban centers with big black populations. Society wants police to do this. You know, when they loot or when they throw rocks and defy the law, it's a way of striking back at an entire legal structure that enforces chronic poverty that enforces this injustice. So they, it's not a great way to fight back. It's a spontaneous way to fight back in some ways, self-destructive. 
because it alienates much of the black community of Baltimore. Don't like this. Probably the majority of working class Baltimore don't like to see looting and all the rest. But it's, it, how else are they going to strike back? So the violence really needs to be contextualized. And so far, uh, frankly, other than real news, I don't know anyone down here that's doing it. Uh, so it's, uh, my point is not even enough to recognize that there are social problems here. Even President Obama recognized that there are social problems here. But so what? I mean, <laughs> to recognize that Jesus, if you can't, you know, you'd have to be blind not to recognize it. Sure. You know, it, it's it's all this context is, is is so much deeper than what we get. I mean, there's almost a sense of inevitability to it. Everything that happens leading up to those images, which are, are essentially stock footage by now of the cars on fire, of the looting, it, it just gets lost. It's, it's so predictable that we're going to end up there. Um, and there's been a lot of documentation about what you're, what you're suggesting, that, that you know, there was a lot of peaceful protests before this and the actual circumstances that led to the violence uh, the police had a lot to do with. People can read about that in, in Mother Jones and elsewhere. But uh, a former colleague of yours, uh, the CBC, Adrian Harewood, who is uh, anchoring at uh, – CBC Ottawa Television. He was tweeting about this yesterday, and I, I think he was incredibly bold and brave. I asked Adrian onto the show to come talk about it, but uh, there's actually a policy at CBC that he's not allowed to come and editorialize, so he wasn't able to do so. Uh, but he, he he tweeted, "Our coverage is so predictable to the point of being banal." He also tweeted, like, too often it feels as, as if we media practitioners are ambulance chasers reacting to the latest news, and then we present everything as a surprise. And if and he and he said if we actually ground ourselves in communities, we can provide context rather than just color, rather than just these these when it flashes up into violence, and the CBC shows up to, to convey this to Canadians. Uh, what if we actually had a greater understanding, not just about Baltimore, but about the whole situation? And and you know, like I think that there's a, a place that Canadians get to of of kind of a smug, kind of gawking. Uh, you know, we're, we're watching this all unfold and we're watching America explode as if we don't have the same problems here. And it's it's not lost on me that the same week that this all happened, we, we sort of uh, in the media celebrated as uh, former chief of police Bill Blair, who oversaw, you know, basically martial law in Toronto during the G20, uh, being hailed by the liberals as a new star candidate, the liberal party hailing this uh, this this former police chief who turned the city in, into uh, into a police state during the G20. I'm surprised because he had pretty good relations with the federal Tories. Because, uh, in fact, he covered the ass of Harper in G20 because that really was a Harper slash RCMP operation. And, and as much as Bill Blair bears terrible responsibility, he actually wasn't running the show. The RCMP was. And, and he took the heat. I'm surprised he shows up as a liberal candidate because uh, Harper owed him one. But anyway, that being said. Yeah, my understanding is, is that uh, the conservatives and the NDP uh, actually uh, courted him. But he, he went with the liberals and there was a big photo op of, of, of him smiling with Justin Trudeau. I guess if you think about it, you know, it was uh, Trudeau's dad declared martial law in Quebec. So maybe there's uh, some kind of uh, a through line there. Yeah, I was about to say uh, that the, the maybe that's the affinity. I mean, why am I doing the real news? Because I used to do a show at CBC. And we had more freedom with Counterspin, you know, which was the debate show I did, than probably anything that ever existed before or after. Um, maybe uh, this hour has seven days, maybe had some of the same freedom, but they got closed down. And of course, so did we eventually. That being said, the, the, the great underlying mythology of the whole narrative of news, this is the most obvious stuff of mainstream news. And it's true in Canada, it's true in the United States, most news. 
certainly all mainstream, except for the odd individual. I'll give a caveat, caveat, which is we live in a class society. We're not all in the same boat. You know, they have tremendous uh, ownership in the economy. With that goes an enormous concentration of political power. And, and then you got everybody else. And then you have working people. You have very poor people. The, the society is stratified that way. And you can't do news that doesn't take into consideration, one, who has power, who owns stuff, and ask those questions every time you do a story. How does that affect what I'm doing the story about? Even and then most stories actually start to talk about pot solutions, you know, what policy might work. Well, you can't, if you look at solutions only within the confines of today's existing politics, of what can be done, well, then you're saying the people that dominate Canadian politics or U.S., which is the, the minority that own the majority of stuff and have most power, you're saying, what are they going to allow? Is what it amounts to, because I mean, you know, both in terms of elections in Canada and the U.S., uh, you know, the, the 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 power of of the owning class asserts itself, and they more or less get who they want in, in, to to rule in various places, provincially or federally or in the city level. What Toronto's been able to do is move a lot of this deep poverty out of the city into the suburbs or into the outskirts of the city. So Jane and Finch or areas of Scarborough, other areas of Mississauga, um, you know, you get the, the poorest, as Toronto gets more and more gentrified and impossible, completely unaffordable for most ordinary people. Maybe the odd people have, you know, their grandparents bought a house in the 1950s and they've been able to move into it so they can live in the annex or something or college and Dovercourt area or something, but otherwise it's unaffordable for people. So poor people are being moved out. They're out of sight. And many of these same issues, maybe not quite as extreme as Baltimore, but many of these issues exist in Toronto. But what is it? One in four, one in five young people in Toronto youth live in poverty. And you know, it's not that we haven't heard that statistic on CBC. I'm sure they probably reported it. I don't know how many dozens of times. But they won't go the next step to say why. Why is there chronic poverty in Toronto? Why is there chronic uh, uh, abuse, police brutality? How many years ago was it we had a commission on racism and uh, and policing? This is like, what, 20, 25 years ago? I don't know, something after the Rodney King murders and, I mean... Rodney King was killed and all the uprising and we had these big protests in Toronto. When Rodney King was beaten, you mean? Yeah, beaten. Yeah, I'm sorry. And and, and the issue of the, the way the, the suicide rates among Native kids, and not Natives in general, not just Native kids. I mean, they're horrendous. They're at world-leading levels. And yeah, we, we report on it once in a while. CBC, others, yeah, look at that. You know, once a year, twice a year, even have a documentary, an extended piece about it. And then move on to the next story. Here's where real news is different. We are on the side of ordinary people and we want change. So what do you do, Paul? Do you, do you like mix your live coverage with analysis or do you, do you, do you separate those two products? I mean, uh, I think that a lot of the media feel hamstrung by their core, you know, competency, competency, their, their, their core mission to just tell you what's happening today and everything, everything then, as Harewood says, kind of looks like a surprise, uh, decontextualized. Yeah. Well, we do. All of the above, although frankly, our weakness is straightforward reporting, like because we just don't have enough people. 
you know, just to say this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. We'd like to do more of that. It's a useful thing. But our main point, the main thing we can do is help frame the question analytically. But we really work very hard to get people who are fact-based analytically. The same thing we used to do on counterspin, too. But we really try to get people who are basing their arguments on research, on evidence. People can come to different opinion, conclusions based on evidence, but you at least got to base it on evidence. But yeah, we do a lot of analysis. We, we're doing increasingly. We build a big building down here across the street from City Hall. So we have a big enough studio to do a town hall with 100, 120 people. We've already had about five, six, seven of getting the community involved. In like, for example, should the community control the police? We had a big town hall about that with police, with people from the community. Now, always keeping in mind, this is a class society. And for some, it's not a dysfunctional city. It's a very profitable city. A lot of people making money in Baltimore. They have a lot of money in Baltimore. And Maryland is perhaps the richest state in the whole country. There's more multi-millionaires in Maryland than anywhere in the country. And, and, and not just working, not just chronic poor, not just areas of high unemployment. So much of Baltimore is working poor, and sometimes two jobs. This is why you need a media that cries out in a not hysterical, rhetorical way, in a journalistic way. But the situation's urgent for everybody, not just for the poor and not just for the working poor. This entire society is getting driven over a cliff. Paul, you know, I had other topics I wanted to speak with you about. I could edit this all down and get to them, but I, frankly, I just found this fascinating. And I think we're just going to make this a one-topic show today. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks very much for inviting me, Jesse. Uh, anytime. All right, that's your Canada Land Shortcuts for today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Paul, where can people find you? Realnews.com. The show's website is canadalandshow.com. And the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Katie Jensen, and the next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. If you like this show, support it.